The Football 4 Podcast is returning this week. I am Dan Walken of USA Today Sports, joined today by George Schroeder. And yes, I know it's been a little while. Uh, I talk about that as we get the podcast started, why I have been absent from this format the last couple weeks. But we are getting this thing cranked back up, and we recap everything that happened in Week 3, talk about all of the issues that are on your mind from around the world of college football. Stay with us on the Football 4 Podcast. It is next. The way we play is embarrassing. I told you guys, it's embarrassing the way we play. And I'm the head coach of this embarrassing group of guys. So I'd really rather not have any more questions about, is it okay to lose this game? It's never okay to lose a game. And I'm going to tell you what, you hold coaches accountable, players accountable, hold the damn officials accountable. It's garbage. Print that. Tweet that. All right, so everyone's been asking me about the podcast and why we haven't been doing a podcast and is the podcast coming back. Uh, George, I've literally been getting hit up, not just on Twitter, but like people in the business, a couple coaches, some other folks who work in college football. They love the podcast and they're asking me about the podcast. And here's what I'm telling them about the podcast. Uh, My life has been a mess since the season started, and because this podcast is basically just for fun, we don't really make money off of it or anything like that. We don't have commercials or sponsorships. We basically have to do it when I can do it, and um, I haven't been able to do it. Have you ever had a leak in your house? Um, Like a plumbing leak? Yeah, it's not fun. Don't have one. Don't have a plumbing leak. Uh, Because what happens when you have a leak, and I noticed this basically the week before the college football season started, I was going out to my car, and like water was pouring through the ceiling of the garage, which didn't seem like a very good thing. Um, So you have to call people in, and they have to figure out what's going on, and then they bring in like these fans. So my whole house for about a week sounded like uh, a jet engine was operating, and then... um, People are in and out, and they're doing work. and So basically, it's it's somewhat of an excuse, and it's probably a lame excuse, but just this thing has taken up a lot of my bandwidth, and I just haven't been able to do the podcast. So, But I think I can do it now, and that's good. How are you? Let's do it. How are you? Man, I'm good. You know, fall season, you know how it is. It becomes a bit of a whirlwind, but I'm good. No leaks in the house, so... That's good. Well, there's a lot to talk about. This was one of those weeks to me that felt like we learned a lot and maybe started to see some groupings of teams emerge. And so let's just start here. So I I went on Twitter Saturday night, as I tend to do, and I posted who my top five was. And this got some blowback, but basically my top five, based on just who I think are the best teams – just who I think is playing the best, who I think would be the teams that you wouldn't want to face right now. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Oklahoma. Number five, Mississippi State. Now, I realize that that top five does not include uh, LSU, who on resume deserves to be in there, but I'm not doing it on resume. I'm just doing it on who I think is the best. And I realized that Clemson's not in there. And I think Clemson, most people would have. I think everybody would have. But I just don't think they're playing very well. So 
I don't know where you want to start with that, but that's my top five. What did you learn this weekend in terms of who the elite teams are? Well, uh, look, I, I saw LSU and Auburn, and, and what I learned was more that at this point, Auburn's not one of those teams. So they couldn't get there. I mean, you know, a year ago they started slow and then became, you know, one of the better teams in the country by the end of the year. But they're not there right now, and there's no guarantee they will be. LSU's not either. That was a great win for Coach Joe uh, for and the Tigers to, to win, uh, you know, on the road. And they've now come back from double digit deficits two years in a row to beat Auburn and those are the, probably the two most significant certainly this one is the most significant win of his short tenure but whether it's the long show or the short term this year I'm not ready to proclaim them you know back and LSU is going to be one of these teams they've just got too many deficits and it, certainly speaking of this team so, uh, you know the offense remains clunky I do like Joe Burrow the quarterback but you know, he's, he's limited in part by the fact that the offense is structurally schematically as clunky as you thought it would be. So so let's dispense with those two teams. Uh, I don't have a real problem with your top five. I don't know if I would say Mississippi State's been, you know, I don't could argue about whether they've been playing tremendous or not tremendous or whatever. And in resumes, you know, they matter. Obviously, they matter some. But I get what you're saying. You're just saying these are the teams I think are playing the best regardless of competition. I yeah, get it. Yeah. Um, I will say this, I think competition matters, and I actually think Ohio State might be playing as well as anybody in the country. You know, you know hey, you've got them in your top five. It doesn't really matter whether you're one, two, three, four, or five, frankly. If they were five, if this was the playoff, but it's not. But I actually think Ohio State might be, you know, and look, I get it. Rutgers is terrible. It's clear how terrible Rutgers is when they go get blown out the same way by Kansas that they got blown out by Ohio State. Oregon State's terrible. I get that. TCU's pretty good, um, and I think I think I think Ohio State showed us something this weekend. Um, just what sheer talent they have, and of course, all of that has nothing to do with any kind of off-field stuff with Urban Meyer. It's just sort of the roster itself and the steps forward the offense has taken under Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, as opposed to JT Barrett, who you know was a tremendous leader, but they've got a much much more volatile offense than they've had in the last few years in some ways it's a little bit like alabama with tua and how that's changed that offense so i'm really high on ohio state right now just in terms of their actual performance on the field and what i think they're capable of okay let's let's go back to lsu auburn there's a lot there that you just brought to the table Uh, but you were at that game and i agree with you lsu i would say clunky is a good word to describe the offense uh what is it that they do really really well like I, I, they ran the ball pretty well, I thought against against uh, Auburn, but you know I I don't know that they're an elite team running the football right now. Who's their no? They, yeah, they don't have that elite back. Frankly, let's start with that now. And I don't think their line is is what it's been in years past either. But but they don't have they don't have a Darius Geis. They don't have a Leonard Fournette. They don't have a keep going back. You know, I mean Nick Brosett would not be on the field on some of their previous teams, you know? I mean, so, and, and that's no slight to him, but they're just not as talented at, at back or I don't think on the offensive line, although they've played fairly well against, you know, a, uh, a highly hyped Auburn front four that I actually think is pretty good. So, yeah, 
they don't have a run game like what we've come to expect. And if you're going to continue to run the kind of stuff that they're clearly going to continue to run, the 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 I know they spread things out a little bit, but the experiment of let's change the offense and do like everybody else has kind of gone by the wayside. If you're going to try to do what you've always done, you better be able to run. And I still think that's going to be their maybe their Achilles heel at the end of this thing. Um, you know, Ed Orgeron is now, I think, turning the narrative a little bit, and we'll see what happens over the long haul. But there's no question, beating Miami and then going on the road and beating Auburn has – I don't want to say saved his job because I don't think his job was necessarily on the line, but it's definitely gone from, man, LSU really screwed up in hiring Coach O to now people are sort of buying in. They see it. He's Since the Troy debacle last year, they've only lost to twice. They lost to Alabama, and they lost to Notre Dame in that bowl game. Now, I, look, when people say LSU has accomplished the most so far this year because they've – beaten two top 10 teams. First of all, I don't know that Miami is really a top 10 team. I don't know that Miami is going to continue uh, or eventually be a top 10 team. Auburn, I don't actually, I don't think Auburn will just by sort of the weight of the schedule that they've got coming up. And although I do think they probably have a better quality team than, than Miami. Yeah. I I think they're one of the 10 best. They're they're probably one of the 10 best rosters uh, for sure. But that was a game also, let's make no mistake, Auburn kind of blew it, didn't they? I mean, absolutely. they go yeah. up 21 they to, to 10, and like that's just a game at home you've got to close out, especially when you blew a double-digit lead to those guys last year. Yeah, and there were two or three, you know, it's like a lot of these kind of games. There were two or three plays that either make or, made or don't get made that – um, you know, changed the game and they put it away. But they didn't make the plays, and LSU did. And you're right. So they blew an 11 point lead in the second half, um, and all the mo- they had all the momentum. And you know, really, um, you, you could point to any of several things. I'll point to um, Jarrett Stidham for all his good traits as a quarterback through three terrible interceptions. I mean, sorry, two terrible interceptions in the, uh, in the game First, one on the second play of the game, which led to a quick LSU score. But then in the third quarter, um, maybe it was early in the fourth quarter, but late in the third or early in the fourth, he threw a pass that was essentially looked like it was intended for greedy Williams. Who's, you know, as good a cornerback as there's in the country. And now LSU did not score on that play, but here's what did happen. Uh, Auburn had start, been starting from, you know, it's 30, it's 40, midfield, things like that in the entire third quarter. And the rest of the game, it, this reversed the field completely. Uh, uh, the rest of the game, they were starting from like their 10. It just changed the field position, and it, and it reversed the momentum. And, and when you start me, at the 10, you're, you're changing how you're calling the offense. and Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and look, they shot themselves in the foot with a couple of holding penalties, and there were a couple of pass interference penalties that fans have been on me at, on Twitter about why I haven't talked about them. And the reason is, it was pass interference. Uh, and the reason is, I don't want to talk about bad calls. They happen to everybody all the time, so I don't want to talk about it. Um, all that said, your point, regardless of how deep we get into the details, is exactly right. Auburn blew a game it should have won, and that's a bad deal, and it leaves them with margin for error. If, if their goal is to win either the West or the or go to the playoff, and that's clearly what their goal is, and I don't know what we would think they're capable of either of those at this point. 
All right, so for LSU, I mean, look, their their season is going to come down to they play Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama all in a row, all at home, which I, I gives them a lot of, I think, hope and momentum. But um, they got a long road to me to, to show that they can really have a realistic hope of winning the, the West. All right, let's mention Ohio State and TCU. You, you brought it up. Um. You know, look, I thought for about three quarters of that game, TCU had a better plan. They were better coached. They were better prepared. Uh, and that's not a huge surprise given who is who coaches TCU. But ultimately, that just was a talent game. Right. right? And, that's and, right. And there was just this pressure on TCU constantly that, that forced them into some mistakes and they imploded a little bit, got away from them. Now, look, they they were one stop away from maybe having a chance to get back in that game. They just couldn't get the stop. Uh, and that Ohio State offense is very, very good. There's no doubt about it. I, I still think their defense is a bit susceptible, and I'm not sure that they have a lot of depth on defense. But uh, their offense is, is, is lights out when they have got a guy like Haskins who can really throw the ball. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a really – well, I think TCU's clearly really fast. They're fast and small. They're a typical TCU team, which, you know, is great, and it gets them to nine or ten wins every year, but it, it, it keeps them just shy of elite. And, and uh, the only answer to that is recruit better, and I don't know that that's actually something that's doable. And that's what happens when they get up the Ohio States or even in the Big 12 against the Oklahomas of the world. They have There's a different set of sides and the same speed. Uh, coming at them from those teams, and it eventually, you know, uh, is their demise. But um, I, you know, what I, Ohio State's defense? I don't. Know. I mean, the one thing I would say, you, they gave up 31 to, to Oregon State, so there's that. Um, I'm not going to ding them for for going uh, to uh, you know to Arlington, Texas. And look, it was probably a 50-50 crowd, so it was a neutral site. I don't want to hear this. Oh, it's 20 minutes before war. It's really a road game. I'm not going to ding them though for going and and uh, you know withstanding a really good shot by a, a pretty nice top 15, top 20 team. Uh, I'm not going to ding them for that. I mean that that's the one thing that we I think and and I don't mean you and I. I mean just sort of we as college football fans, even football media, we do now is we judge these teams. We almost judge them on Twitter in the quarters, and if you start slow, it's hard to sort of change the narrative of the game at the end. But we definitely judge these teams based on how they perform more than, you know, whether they won. And, you know, I, I just think you go in there and you win. And by, at the end of it, it's actually fairly impressive how you won. I mean, you withstood a pretty good challenge. I actually think it's pretty clear that's the biggest challenge that any of the teams that you would think three have faced clearly. I mean, look, I know people were manufacturing something about South Carolina contending with Georgia. I thought that was a you know unlikely um, beforehand, and it clearly wasn't. And you know, and Alabama just has rolled roughshod over over people, and maybe they would do that over a TCU too, but they haven't faced anybody quite like that either. So I just I'm just impressed with Ohio State based off that game. So maybe I'm overestimating them based off of that. Yeah. No. Look, I, I think they're. You can put them and Georgia in the same category in the sense that. It'll all shake out based on the schedule, right? I mean, Georgia's got to go play right. um, LSU. They got to play Auburn. You know, in a couple weeks, Ohio State's got to go to Penn State. 
we'll see we'll see how it shakes out but yeah i mean for now if you want to say ohio state's the second best team or the best team um i won't argue although i i do i don't know how you can watch alabama right now and, and not no, say i'm not putting number one i'm just i do think this i think alabama it feels like there's a different quality to alabama but it but what they're doing rolling roughshod plays into what we already sort of think we think. And at some point, we ought to consider the level of competition, too. I mean, we think, wow, they're really, really good. Because they are. We think, wow, their offense is, is going to be way better and is way better than it was. Because it is. But then when we sort of see it, it's sort of confirmation bias sometimes. And yet we haven't seen them against an actual challenge at this point yet. Oh yeah, I mean they're going to get te- yeah they're going to get tested. They're going to have games where you know Tua makes a mistake or throws an interception or the game turns the wrong way based on something going wrong. Like that's what happens to every team. Uh, but still, like they go into that game at Ole Miss, and there was at least a lot of thought that okay, well Alabama's going to kind of do what they want, but at least Ole Miss is going to you know, get two or three touchdowns. And, I mean, basically it was one big play early and then the, the rest of it was just a, a absolute whitewash. Right. You know what I mean? No, and I think listen, that, that it, makes it, people step back and go, okay, you know. Listen, they're really good. Don't get me wrong. I just I also just think that we sort of say they're really good and then every, everything we see sort of confirms it. And at some point we're going to see them against better competition, I think. Um, but here's the deal. I I also think this. I think if we'd have seen them against TCU, they might have gotten challenged more, and yet I kind of try to put them in that game, and I think, I don't know if it been 40-28, to 28, it might have been 48-14. to 14. You know, it might have been a little bit more controlling. So I don't have any problem with anybody putting Alabama number one from now until the end of time or when Nick Saban resigns, whenever that is. But at least while Tua's running the show with this current crew, I mean – you know they're fantastic, and and I don't know who's going to beat them. I suspect it's not. If it's going to happen, it'll be in the playoff. I'm not sure it's going to happen then. But that to me is, I'm not sure they're going to run into the elite level competition that can really get them uh, on their actual schedule. Maybe in the SEC championship game against the Georgia. Maybe in the playoff. All right. The the other team, maybe the only team that was a huge <clears throat> surprise in a in a good way on Saturday was Oklahoma State. Uh, I think a lot yeah. of people probably looked at this game against Boise and thought, okay, this is the game where Boise's going to make their stand and potentially have that signature win that they can wave in front of the committee and try to get some playoff consideration. But, but really, I mean, this was just a, a total domination. Uh, Ohio State, I'm sorry, Oklahoma State uh, controlled everything about that game. They controlled the line of scrimmage. Their offense uh, really ran the ball extremely well, I thought, when they needed to. They got two blocked punts. Um, their, I, their defensive line, to me, looked really aggressive. They sacked Brett Rippon a bunch of times. Um, they were in there causing havoc. Uh, defensive coordinator Jim Knowles has gotten a lot of praise over the weekend uh, because it does look like a better oh, – sorry about that. I had had the box score up, uh, those auto plays. Um He's gotten a lot of praise over the weekend for just kind of how they look because they do look different. And that was just an eye-opener because Mike Gundy, you didn't know what he had at quarterback. You didn't know without James Washington, like, did they have the same type of, you know, playmaking speed? And it, they look 
basically like every other Oklahoma State team over the last six years. Um, yeah, except I thought the revelation wasn't even so much Taylor Cornelius can actually play quarterback, although that was something that, you know, through two weeks, I'm not sure that people still weren't wondering if the grad transfer from Hawaii might end up taking the job at some point. That, yeah, Cornelius obviously was very good. They got playmakers uh, offensively. We expected that. So the quarterback answer wasn't was a good sign for them. To me, the defense, and you, you mentioned it, the defense is what that was a performance we really haven't seen from Oklahoma State. And, and maybe Boise, maybe we had overrated Boise. I, I mean, I, I get that that can happen. Um, but it, when was the last time you walked out of watching an Oklahoma State game and you said to yourself, wow, they dominated somebody defensively? I don't really know when that was. I mean, not counting sort of the, you know, the rental wins that everybody gets in the non conference. Against a credible opponent, I don't know when the last time that was. Well, to me, that was a really good sign. I mean, they, they, Boise had 34 yards rushing, I think, on 31 carries. I might have that. I might have that backwards. Um, it was, you know, and, and I know sack yardage gets in there. I get all that, but that's that's tremendous. They made them one dimensional, uh, and then yeah, Brett Rippin threw the ball around the yard a lot. He's really good, but they made them one dimensional. You do that, you win games. <clears throat> No, I mean, it was a tremendous performance, and I think you have to look at them in a different light now. Uh, I don't yep. want to sit there and say, okay, well, now I think they're going to win the Big 12, but certainly they seem to fill maybe a little bit of a void in, you know, who's that team that can maybe challenge Oklahoma and uh, TCU. And, and look, it's great for the Big 12 because if you are looking at the league, you've got Oklahoma, you've got TCU. Uh, and, you know, even Texas, despite the bad loss to Maryland, got a little bit of credibility back, and we'll get to that game with USC, but a little bit of credibility back. You know, and then you can add uh, Oklahoma State to that mix. It's actually, I think it raises sort of the whole profile of, of what the Big 12 is, uh, especially given, you know, that we're kind of down on the Big 10, down on the Pac-12. Yeah, no, listen, I... I think that's right. I mean, between TCU playing well in a loss, between Oklahoma State, you know, popping a Boise team, that a lot of people were saying, there's your group of five team that, boy, could they go undefeated and would they have any shot at the playoff? And the answer is no. Um, they would have no shot at the playoff. But I get the argument in September every year. Uh, and, you know, but may end up still being the best group of five team. And, and you know, they just popped them. I mean, those really help. You're right. And, Am I, does anybody want to claim the Big 12 is elite? No. But isn't it interesting how people have sort of stopped really talking so much about the Big 12? And I don't think it's just because the Pac-12 is currently the, the one with all the angst, although the Big 10 had a terrible day. I don't know if you want to get into that. Um, I don't think it's just because the Pac-12 has sort of assumed that mantle of anxiety and we're, we're terrible and, boy, nobody thinks we can play football. I think people have settled in and thought, okay, Oklahoma looks like the only elite program there, but there's some other programs that, that play good football, which wasn't really what was being said a couple of years ago. And I don't know why perception changes like that, but it seems like it's shifted. All right. We're going to try to move this thing along because uh, we're recording this before the Urban Meyer uh, press conference. So uh, I've got the TV up on the Big Ten Network, and uh, as soon as that uh, press conference starts, we'll, we'll end the podcast for now. Uh, but let's uh, talk about the other big topic of the weekend, which was 
frankly, just some of the bad losses. Um, and I think a couple really high-profile programs uh, in Nebraska getting beat by Troy, uh, USC looking awful uh, against uh, Texas, and then, of course, Florida State just getting blown out by Syracuse, which was uh, – they've just been a complete debacle. Um, which of those three situations stands out to you as the most urgently bad? Oh, Florida State is, you said it, it's a debacle. I don't know what people thought. I think people thought there'd be some incremental progress from last year's game, uh, last year's season with the last with Jimbo Fisher. Um, Because here's the thing, they're so discombobulated as a program and just getting blown out by people and then, you know, should have lost to Sanford. And now you're starting to see sort of what appear to be Fisher's on the inside, excuse me, inside the program, that I, I just sit there and, and you think there's – I know you're only three games into a guy's tenure. I understand that nobody's going to fire him and he's not going to resign. I get that. Um, but, you know, you looked up his buyout, 21 point something million on Saturday and put it out on Twitter. When people are doing that and when are you feeling the need to at least do that, even just to sort of say, look, this would never happen, that is a terrible – and I think that a narrative, a narrative for coaching team gets set so early, and it's so hard to unwrite it or write it differently. That I think they're entering that danger zone at this point. I mean, if they don't have something dramatic that writes the ship, it's a, you know, you know, I, I don't know. It's just well, to I mean, me, look, it just looks like it's terrible. Look, people are are rightly pointing out that it's not like last season was very good there either, and Jimbo Fisher. Right. Uh, for whatever reason, even though the recruiting classes were all highly ranked, they just have not yielded that kind of talent. It, it's very clear they're not as talented as they should be, uh, and especially on their offensive line. And, and Willie Taggart, in his press conference, is essentially blaming the offensive line for, for the problems and saying everything stems from there. While I agree their offensive line is a major problem, I would push back in two ways. One, if you're Willie Taggart, I think at this point, like you've got to figure out something, move the pocket. I mean, it's your job to be a problem solver. It's your job to put your players in position to succeed. And I know it's your first year. You're trying to put in a new system, but it's really, I think, problematic when you just can't, when you can't do that for a group of guys who um, they're, they're clearly shaken and they've clearly lost confidence. Um, you know, and the, and the second thing I think that's problematic for Taggart is they just look soft. They they look poorly conditioned. They look physically soft. It's not a great sign. Like, and again, I I, I don't want to just compare to because every situation is different. But I think one of the reasons why people have bought into what Jimbo Fisher's done at Texas A&M is they, they just look like a better organization. They look they, they went out on that field against Clemson and they may have some they, they they do have some personnel deficiencies, but they look tougher. They look they Florida State barely look like they practiced. And I think that's a, I think that's where you start losing people. And look, they're not going to fire them. It's too much money. You, you just it's just not what you do. But that was definitely the kind of performance. Like, if, if they can't turn something around here in the next few weeks, his bandwagon is going to be empty by the end of the season. Yeah. It's the kind of performance that if this was year two, um, 
you might have people really starting to think about stuff. You know, now obviously that would depend on year one was, so it's kind of a dumb thing to say, but it's such a terrible start. It's not just that you lost to Virginia Tech. It's not just that you struggled with Sanford. It's then that you get rolled by Syracuse. I mean, that that's it's such a terrible combination of everything. And you start to see, as I, as I said a minute ago, the cracks beginning to form. You know, there's look, things happen with quarterbacks and locker rooms that we don't ever know about. But when you start to see things go viral, like the Francois not wanting help up after getting drilled, I mean, look, let's be honest, Francois got popped so many times and just popped right back up two years ago in his first year as a starter that nobody ever questions his toughness. And and I wouldn't question him, for, frankly, for getting tired of being hit over the years, right? Um, but all that said, when all these other things are happening and somebody captures the one moment, and you know what I'm talking about, about of, of him like disdaining the help up, that's a that it can take on a, a life that's way bigger than actually what it is. And and sort of, I mean, I, I just think when you start to see all those kinds of things beginning to happen, that even if they're not really happening, they start to happen, if that makes sense. And I'm thinking that the program completely unravels. I'm saying it's in a terrible situation right now, and he better figure out a way to get it turned around. There's a little bit of that, too, I thought, this weekend that happened with Arkansas and Chad Morris. Um, and look, again, every yeah. situation is different. I think everybody understands that, that Arkansas, from a roster standpoint, was in a really bad place. He is also trying to change an offensive system uh, almost 180 degrees. But, you know, you get beat by Colorado State on the road. That's one thing. I mean, that's one of those games you, you probably hate that you scheduled in the first place. Even though Colorado State's not any good, you, yeah, but you know. you're up eighteen. How you lost it? Right. As much as it is sure. you lost it, wouldn't you agree, Dan? For, for I mean, sure. You're up eighteen midway through the third quarter. But right. I, but I get you. You're right. If, if you just say, okay, that's a bad scheduling deal, and, and it just caught you wrong. You're right. Go ahead. Yeah. Then you come back the next week and you get beat forty four seventeen by North Texas. And uh, look, it's a tough team to draw if you're Arkansas and you're down and you're trying to rebuild. Uh, you don't want to play one of the better group of five teams, fairly explosive offense, like all that stuff. Like, And I think like people who understand the nuances of college football get that. I picked North Texas to win uh, because I do think they're pretty good. But like that was just – it's bad. It's really bad. Like you, They were terrible. And, you know, and, and obviously the whole air on their sideline was deflated when with that punt – return 90 yard punt return where North Texas goes up 17 nothing where the the guy returning the punt fakes out the whole team by pretending he's doing a fair catch but never makes a signal and then he just takes off and it's the highlight you've seen all weekend it's embarrassing you know and all that stuff but um I you know you and I both know uh I I was getting text messages from Arkansas Saturday night like we got to get rid of this guy you know it that's just you you play a game like that. That's just how it goes. Yeah, and I mean, we both have friends and family in, in state, obviously, who are big Razorback fans. That's what happens when. And I don't know if everybody knows this. We both grew up in Arkansas. One of the, uh, uh, you know, just kind of an oddity that we're both from Arkansas. Um, and yeah, no, I was definitely getting and have still been getting stuff. And and people are. And here's the other thing. You wrote about this in the Misery Index. 
And you're exactly right that it should not matter that he's going flying to Dallas or, or near Dallas on the weekends when he can to, to catch his on Fridays or Thursdays to catch his son playing football. His son is still playing at Highland Park in Dallas. I think it's his senior season. So then he, I, presumably he would, you know, go off to college and the family would be united at that point. But um, I don't have any problem with him doing that. But you're there becomes an optical situation or an optic situation that is maybe unsustainable given how they're playing. And I think that's a that's a real issue going forward. It would not stun me if he stops doing that. Yeah, it just just don't give people the ammunition. You know what I mean? Right. And, and somebody, I hate that because, look, you, you, only get, you only get so many times to see your son play football, right? I mean, th- this is – and I also hear the argument, well, Dabo did that too. Yeah, but Dabo's son was playing – at some high school in the area, right? Right. It's a fifteen-minute I mean, drive from from Clemson's campus right. to uh, a high school not football game. This kid's Fayetteville or Springdale or whatever. This kid's playing in Dallas, Texas. So now, is he is he is it actually impacting game planning or anything else? No. I, I would be stunned that it is. You can study stuff on the plane. You mentioned that all the game planning is already done, and you're back back in time. And assuming you get a good night's sleep, you're back in time. But it looks bad. Give everything else. They were. One or three and zero, oh, it would be a cute story. That's the difference. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? It'd be the kind of thing we'd all be going. This is really fun. Maybe we should hang out with him on a Friday night at the game. Write about it. Well, I mean, look. Instead, it's a problem. Yeah. So somebody texted me this over the weekend, and I think this is there's some I think credence to this point of view, which is if the top priority was to be there while his son plays high school football games, why didn't he just stay at SMU? Like, you know, if you're going to go to a situation like Arkansas where you're rebuilding and, and obviously, you know, nobody forced him to take that job. Uh, Nobody forced him to, and by the way, nobody forced him to not have his family move to Fayetteville high or Springdale high or whatever it would be. You could have done that too. Right. I mean, very few people in, very few people in life have their cake and eat it too. Right. So you go to Arkansas and right. they're paying you all this money, and your primary job when you accepted that responsibility was to rebuild this program, and it's going to be very, very hard to rebuild. Um, you know, I, look, I, I don't want to be critical of somebody trying to be a good father, and, and also there's another layer to this, which is that his son is a high-profile high recruit, right? Um, and, and I'll tell you this, right. given all the hubbub about this, Chad better dang sign his son. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better yeah. dang well get that done in recruiting, because that'll really get people upset. And he's with the mom, so he's. Um, yeah, I mean, just. Uh, I mean, and I didn't mean to take this down a rabbit trail because really that is a rabbit trail, but it's a thing that can take on a life of its own because of everything else. And you're going back to your original point. You're not wrong. I mean, this is an Arkansas team that wasn't very good last year. But in, but I'm not blaming Brett Bielema for this. This this team is worse this year, and I get it. They've changed systems completely, and it radical change. And so they don't have personnel to run the kind of spread that Chad Morris wants to run. I mean, because look, of all teams, programs, Brett Bielema was was recruiting people to try to play basketball conventional style, you know, phone booth stuff. I get that. All that said, you're hired not only for 2019 and 2020 and 2021 when you get your recruiting class in you're hired to make it better now and i don't mean necessarily that they expect you to contend they just expect you to make it better it can't be 
worse by degrees, and that's what it is, degrees of magnitude. And, and it's just, they're at a, I would say they're at a pivot point. Here's my question to you, though. Um, you know, what games are they going to win this year? I mean, oh, they may not I, I'm win not, any. I was not I mean, buying into, that's what I'm saying. I wasn't buying into they're going to go to a bowl game. I was like, where are you going to find two SEC wins? This is, you have to go 4-0. In your four non-conference games, and then win two SEC games, which you know in most years doesn't sound terrible, but you know I never thought there were two SEC wins. Now you got to find however many more. Um, you know I don't know who they're beating is kind of where I'm sitting, and I think there are they're very it's very possible they're going to have, take a an, a whole lot of bad beatings, and that's that will be really problematic for the program. I mean expectations aren't what they are at Florida State. But you and I both know Arkansas fans are not patient, uh, and to me, it's a it sets up for a really tough year two. If I can fast forward a little bit, I mean, a, a really pivotal year two, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right, let's move on to USC because that's the other kind of loss of the weekend that I think is is a important loss because what happened is not just that they went to Texas and got beat. It's once again, you know, in a big stage type of situation, they really weren't all that competitive. And USC, I, I went and looked it up. I mean, they've had four straight top 10 recruiting classes. And the program has some stability. Helton's been there a while. You've kind of moved past the, you know, you go from Lane to Sark and then Sark's blow up and, and all that stuff. Uh, but. They're just not elite, and I don't know if they're going to get there. Sam Darnold clearly was was good enough as a quarterback to cover up some of the deficiencies they had. But, you know, you think back, I mean, last year in the bowl game, uh, a couple years ago when they played Alabama, like, they they have players, they have talent, um, they don't have enough of it, they're obviously not very good up front. But they just kind of get manhandled in these big games against other, you know, brand name teams out of the Pac-12 conference, and that's not great for Clay Helton. And their offense is sputtered; like it's not good for T. Martin. Something has got to get shaken up there. I don't think that Lynn Swan and those boosters are just going to let this slide, even though Clay's record overall is good and he won the Pac-12 and all that. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, and, and I mean, if you just look at the numbers. Just the you know numbers make we can do numbers any way we want. I mean, because there's another set of numbers out there that says he doesn't he doesn't you know against uh, power five competition he's not really that good. But if you just look at the numbers, let's just start out with they won the Pac-12 his first full year. They they went to a you know they uh, or they played in a uh, New Year's Six bowl game both years in a row. I, I mean, I get all that, but they're not elite. There's a difference and. The standard is to be in that tier with uh, with Alabama and Ohio State and 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 those types of programs, and they're not. And and so it's one thing to not be, but here's what I want to know: How are they going to get there? And are they going to get there? And I like Clay Helton a lot, but I don't see that coming. I don't see that they are going to get there. I get it that right now they they've caught in a situation where you're having to play the freshman quarterback, but at USC. I don't care what kind of accolades the freshman quarterback came in with. And I know Matt Barkley. I get it, right? He played as a true freshman. But if you're USC and your best shot at quarterback, uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's where people go to become stars. 
at quarterback. If your best option is the true freshman who reclassified to to get it to, to skip his senior season, that's on you. That's a problem. Um, and so I just I don't see them becoming elite, and that's the and that's the thing. So now you know it's the old careful what you wish for thing. But if you're USC, I I think your goal is to be elite, and that I don't see them getting there. I th- I think you're right. Lynn Swan did not hire Clay Helton. Um, you know, I don't really know, frankly, that it really matters how they finish the season. At some point, they're going to have a conversation about whether they think they will become elite with Clay Helton. And if and when they decide they're not going to be elite with Clay Helton, it won't matter if they finish the season, you know, 11 and 2 or 12 and 2 or whatever they could be. I don't think it'll matter. I think I think at some point, and I don't think they will do that, but I think at some point they're going to come down to this, we need to be better at this. And and I'm not even saying that would be the right thing. I'm just saying that I think that's coming. Yeah, I mean, you, look, you, you can talk about winning the Pac-12 and, and a good record, but you know, last year you go to Notre Dame, right? And, I mean, right. let's, you know, they win that game, they make the playoff, right? And, and obviously it would have right. – it would have been a disaster for them to be in the playoff. They weren't that level of team, but you know, again, it's the kind of game that defines where you are as a program and you just get slaughtered. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big problem. And and also the fact that clay is such a nice guy is being used against him, right. By the fan base there, it it becomes, whereas with Pete Carroll, it was sort of a positive with clay. It's, it's basically, you know, used as, as a, as a spear, uh, to 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 say okay well you know they're not tough enough you know that kind of thing um, I mean you had USC fans online and again not that the whole world revolves around what happens on Twitter or message boards but I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sitting there watching USC fans say we should have hired Coach O <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean that's literally what they're talking about uh, it's, it's so yeah it's um, it's not great well go for it then. We'll see how that goes. Well, let me ask you this. So just just in the spirit of fast forwarding, just because, we, and we'll do this in, in November, obviously, if, if, if this is a real thing, and maybe it won't be. But that's one of those, that's one of those programs. It's one of the four or five programs around the country you can basically have your pick. If you're Lynn Swan, who are your first two people to go after? If, if yeah, you had an opening. I mean- I haven't thought enough about it. I'm sure he's got a plan, and I'm sure it probably involves someone like with NFL ties. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't. I don't know that it would be sort of the traditional. You know, who's the next? You know, whether it's Mike Norvell or whatever. I I, I don't see that happening. Well, I don't think it will be somebody from sort of a the up and comer from a, a group of five. I mean, I. If it's not an NFL type, I think they go pluck some sitting head coach at a, you know, at a, at a power five school that's really got it going. And I just don't know who it is at this point. Maybe somebody, maybe people start to emerge. But I mean, there's not a Jumbo Fisher sitting out there that's an obvious pick. You know what I mean? That they can pluck. No, I mean, and you know, unless it's a Gary Patterson or whatever who people have um, tried to get and hadn't moved. Nobody, you know, they had, they may have had a chance in the past to get Chris Peterson and it didn't work out. I don't think he's leaving Washington. Like, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, not a great market. Um, hey, let me uh, close on Clemson. Um, I'm officially worried yeah. about Clemson. I just don't think they're playing very well. 
their defense has not really lived up to expectations. Uh, you know, I watched them play Georgia Southern, and like you can look at the statistics in that game, and and it's lopsided, and I get all that, but it, it does come down to execution and your ability to impose your will on lesser opponents, like we've seen Alabama do, like we've seen Georgia do, and you look at Clemson in that game, and you know I, I'm gonna, I'm pulling it up here. That game was 24-7 to with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter against Georgia Southern. It ends up 38-7, to right? They get two cheap touchdowns in the last six minutes with their starters in. Like, they didn't they didn't pull starters. Um, but, I mean, that, that game's 24-7 in the fourth quarter against yeah. the Georgia Southern team that, I, frankly, I don't think is going to be a factor at all in the, in the Sun Belt. And I think there's a couple. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and, and again, I mean, they, they, you know, they at the end of the day, Travis Etienne ends up with 162 yards. Uh, you know, he had a 40 yard touchdown in the last couple minutes of the game. Um, I, I just I I think they've been underwhelming, and I don't know what's going on there, but uh, you know, and, and I'm sure they'll get better as the season goes along. But there's just something that doesn't feel right. Yeah. The- they've got going for them is is what you just said i think they will get better as the season goes along and then the second thing i would say is um you know the acc schedule does not look extremely daunting at this point that would be a nice way to say it um now if 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 you're right and there's reason for concern then we've we've seen them even when they've been a better team than what you're describing or 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 achieving you know throw out a clunker and get beat somewhere each of the last two years you got pittsburgh a couple years ago syracuse last year uh, and they've been able to overcome that um but i think what they got going for them is very good and it gives them a chance to uh, it's not as good as it's been i don't think and it gives them a chance to sort of get there uh, i do wonder this i wonder if there are if there are issues with cranking the offense because Dabo insists on going back and forth with the two guys, with Kelly Bryant. Um, you know, and I, I just – and I don't know for sure, but but I just wonder if that's – you know, not even saying there's there are problems with the team or anything like that, but that, that can hamper your development of, of just in terms of your capabilities as an offense when you go back and forth between two guys well, like I, that. And yeah. You, you may just need to pick one and go. Well, my take on it is that they probably know what is what seems fairly obvious to me, which is that their ceiling is going to be much higher if Trevor Lawrence can take that thing right. by the horns right. and, and, and really develop and get better as the season goes along. But they also probably know that he's not there yet, and it doesn't seem like he's quite there yet in, in the way he's played. And so they're trying to let this thing develop naturally. Uh, now, Kelly Bryant got hurt early in that game, so Trevor Lawrence really played for most of it. And again, like, it's just right. he does some good things, but he's not hes not ready. He's not there. He's not ready to be Deshaun Watson as a, as a junior. You know what I mean? So um, Well, let's be honest. It's not like Tua was necessarily ready if you'd even wanted to at this time last year. There's a reason why. There are a multitude of reasons why he didn't play parts of the year until my, other than in mop-up time. So, so for people to wonder, and I, and I, you always have to take it back to Alabama. I get it. Sorry about that. But yeah, no, I, but here's the thing. 
pick the guy, pick a guy and go with him, pick him and go and, and just see what happens. And if, and to me, that gives you the runway for him to get better because we do think his capabilities are more than Kelly Bryant's. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, I, I don't know that that's the issue. That doesn't have anything to do with what you're talking about. Their defense being underwhelming, at least based on the expectations it has nothing to do with that. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the deal is with that. I mean, you um, saw it at A and M. Like their front is four guys who are going to play in the NFL, and they can be really, really good at times. Uh, but you know, the back end is problematic, and and so it just you know, if they're not just totally dominating every play up front, they're susceptible. And I don't, I don't know that that's really, I don't know that that's really a recipe to win a national title either at this point. But they've got time to figure it out. I, I just look at this point in the season, like. Clemson is now one of those programs that gets the benefit of the doubt, even when things aren't going perfectly, because they've had so much success and they've they've kept it going for so long. I'm just trying to look at it a little more critically and say, as of today, like I don't think they'd beat Georgia. I don't think they'd come close to beating Alabama. I don't think they'd beat Oklahoma. Like as of today, no, may, I hear you. may change. But I mean, you mentioned your top five that you put on Twitter. I do that football four projection thing, playoff projection thing, and you know that's just. Well, well, that's resume. Late. That's resume, and it's it's by conference. Right. But it's and... both. But it's resume and accomplishments, and it's kind of you know, it's, uh, at some point it boils down. It, it it boils down to well, this is just what I think about a team. I don't have them in the top four. I've got them at I don't know five, I think, and um, and you know, so it, my top four is is the same as your top four. I don't know if it's the same order. Uh, it's the same as your top four. I just don't have Mississippi State at five. Uh, and so, to me, they have Clemson has not been nearly as impressive as those other four teams, as Alabama, as Georgia, as Ohio State, or even as Oklahoma, which I think has been fairly impressive, especially given what we thought might happen after Baker Mayfield. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's reason for concern about Clemson. Uh, I, I think it, wor- it very possibly works itself out. Um, but if the goal is to win a national title, and that's what the goal is, the goal is not to reach the playoff at Clemson, is to win a national title. I don't see that ceiling right now, three games in. I think that's probably what you're saying, too. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right, well, I think we'll leave it there for now. Good uh, to get back on the horse here with the podcast. and. Uh, yeah. We will see what happens uh, going forward. But, uh, George, appreciate you being with me today. And uh, if you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Audio Boom. Uh, it just takes a second to go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating and to hit that subscribe button. That is the best way, the quickest way, the most reliable way to get this podcast delivered right to your phone every week. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will talk soon. Bye.